0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good evening. Um, So tonight is the third week of the four-week series we're doing on the last three elements of the eight. That was a lot of numbers there. The third week of the four-week series, and the topic is we're taking one part of the Eightfold Path, the last three pieces, what are called Right Effort, Right Mindfulness, and Right Concentration. And so two weeks ago, the first night, we gave a little bit of an overview of what are called the Four Noble Truths. So, you know, we're not going to go through that again tonight, but some of you who weren't here, and if you're brand new, maybe you haven't heard that, about what the even the Four Noble Truths are. So um, just stick around long enough. You'll hear it many, many times because it's foundational Dharma teachings. And then the last of the Four Noble Truths is this path of how we live and practice how it was prescribed by the Buddha. And it's these eight Steps and it includes things like, and they all start with the word right. I mean really should be interpreted to mean wise and skillful. Uh, so, like right livelihood is one. How do we make how do we make a living in a way that's wise and skillful? We have to know what in service of what where we want to head, right? But wise and skillful. How do we write action, write speech? So there's a lot of elements to this Eightfold Path, and it really comprises all aspects of life. And the last three elements that we're focusing on for these four weeks are what are basically considered to be the meditation steps. So last week we were focusing on right effort. And I think these recordings get posted for some of you who who weren't here. You can always catch up on those two weeks. Tonight, then, we will talk about what's called right mindfulness. And then next week, the, the last in the series, we'll talk about what's called, in the English translation, is right concentration. As we'll see, that's not the best translation, but we're kind of stuck with it because it's what everybody uses. So we'll get into that next time. What I want to say about that is the topic of tonight, right mindfulness, you can't actually fully understand right mindfulness without understanding right concentration. Because they all of these fit together. They they're not just isolated. And in the same way, you can't understand right concentration unless you have some understanding of right mindfulness. And so these all fit together. So actually, even though we're focusing on mindfulness tonight, we won't be able to get the, it'll be, a, it'll be complete, but it won't be the whole picture until we talk about right samadhi, and that will fill it out actually a lot, and we'll once we understand what they mean, I said samadhi, that's the Pali word that's, that we translate as concentration. When we really look at how it's the various ways it's understood next week, and there's more than one way it can, it's understood and more than one way that it's practiced, then we'll also look back to this week in mindfulness and pull what we talked about this week in also for completeness. But for now, we're going to leave the concentration piece off. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it is in here in the mindfulness too, but we're setting it aside for now. And we're just going to focus on this one quality And I'm going to... Mindfulness, but I'm going to talk about it in two different ways. I'm going to talk, in general, say a few things about mindfulness. And then I'm going to talk specifically about right mindfulness of the Eightfold Path, which is defined... It's taking mindfulness, but then even defining it in a specific way. So first, a few general things about mindfulness. Um, You know, the word is used a lot. For some people, some people... I. think actually equate mindfulness with Buddhism. I run across that because it was just as part of, when I was introduced a a few minutes ago, one of the things that was said is I'm part of an organization called Mindful Schools. We bring mindfulness into, focusing a lot on Oakland inner city schools, but actually it's spreading out into all kinds of areas and not just inner cities, affluent and poorer private and public schools, and it's going out. And one of the things we've already started to bump up against a little bit is people who are concerned that, oh, you're bringing mindfulness into the schools. You're bringing Buddhism in. So it's really interesting to see how people think. These are, of course, invariably people who don't understand Buddhism and or don't understand Dharma, whichever w- words you like to use. Mindfulness is a real big deal, at least in our tradition within Buddhism. It's really, really is, a, is big. And a matter of fact, this type of meditation, this is called the Insight Meditation Center. So this kind of meditation called Insight Meditation. If you're interested in the Pali language, it's called Vipassana. You'll hear that word with a V, Vipassana, which is the word that's translated as insight. Some of you know this very well, and for some it might be new. As we'll see next week, well, let me just say this, people often equate mindfulness meditation and insight meditation. They use the terms interchangeably as if they're the same. And you can certainly practice in that way. We'll say more about that uh, this week and next week some. But actually, mindfulness is, I like to think of it as the crown jewel, but it's not the whole package at all. It's its its Foundational, it's a big deal. It would be hard or maybe impossible to um, overstate the importance of mindfulness. And so I'm not diminishing it in any way. And it's one of a number of factors that come together actually in insight meditation. Matter of fact, if you look in uh, the way, for those of you who are here at the beginning of the sitting tonight, I just gave it this very terse, brief little meditation instruction. So I actually meant to ask, we'll have some Q&A time. There was two or three people who raised their hands who were hadn't had instructions before. Um, when we open it up for questions and answers, you're also welcome to talk about how that went for you too because I meant to put a little time here on just to see how it was because that wasn't much instruction, but basically what we what I was teaching was what's called mindfulness of breathing. We were talking about Bringing your awareness to connect with your experience in your body where you can feel your breathing. It's really mindfulness of breathing,
1: right?
0: So that's a a way of doing insight meditation practice. So mindfulness is a big piece of insight meditation. For some people, they may just equate the two. So what is it we mean by mindfulness? Well, it gets defined in many, many different ways that are all more or less the same. Um, I think John Kabat-Zinn says mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment experience in a particular way, is is how he says it. I have my own definition, which is, um, I think it gets the point across. Uh, um, And the way I define it is not being on automatic pilot in our lives. And so we have to know, well, what do I mean when I say automatic pilot? A lot of people, are. I notice, are nodding your heads. Sometimes people will say, you know, well, we try to be mindful during the day, but, you know, I forgot and I kind of went kind of on unconscious, or I was not aware. Well, you were conscious and you were aware, right? Unless you literally were unconscious, right? No, you forgot your mindfulness, but you weren't unconscious. You were just lost in things. You were caught up in... In, in your life or what was happening. It's what I call just being on automatic pilot. That's what I mean. So when I talk about mindfulness, to me, it's that we, we kind of pop out of, the, of automatic pilot and there's another level of knowing the present moment in the present moment while it's happening, being aware of what's happening, and knowing, being aware that you're being aware, right? This is, this is being in the present moment. So that's what I mean by mindfulness. So what I'd like to do just now, for, before I go on, I, I don't want to get, we'll just take a few moments. I want to open it up for a little Q&A, then we want to come back. This won't be the big Q&A, but I just want to see specifically about what I just said about mindfulness. Does that make sense? Or are there any questions about the basic idea of what we mean when we use the term mindfulness? And so if, if you have a question about that or if it's not clear, now would be a good time. And there's no dumb questions or anything. It's perfectly fine if it's just confusing or not clear. Okay, so nobody's raising your hand. Yeah. So another, okay, so fine, that was enough for that then. So, but just to give you another example is, let's just say something happens in your day and, oh, we'll say you're angry in a moment. It doesn't have to be something that we would call a negative emotion. It could be anything. It could be happiness or joy. I'm just picking, there's nothing special about it, but I'm just picking anger. And say you're angry. You can see that there's there's a real difference between just being angry, being reactive, kind of caught up in whatever's happening there, and a completely different way of being with it, which is just you know, you're still feeling the anger, having the experience of it, but you just know you're angry. You can kind of be a little bit, I want to say a little detached, but it's not detached because that can feel like we're kind of separated from ourselves or from our experience. But we just bring in a knowing of what's happening in the moment rather than just being caught in it on this automatic pilot. Right? You get the, it's a pretty clear difference there, right? So there's a lot of different benefits. Even if we're not thinking about the Eightfold Path, it becomes pretty clear, even if you haven't practiced much. For people who have practiced, the benefits of mindfulness are self-evident. And by the way, in the beginning, when you, when you start to practice mindfulness, sometimes it, it, it feels it can be a chore, not so, you know, it, that's a whole big topic. Uh, maybe it doesn't flow so easily and it can take a lot of work maybe. Not always, but it can feel that way sometimes. But part of what we're doing is strengthening the mindfulness. And over time, um, that wakeful quality in, uh, when we're not on automatic pilot can naturally carry through more and more in our lives. And that's a real shift in just the quality of our being moment to moment through our lives, right? And there are other times when it's not so natural, but we are making a conscious effort to try and be mindful and practice in a moment, which is a little bit different than just naturally kind of being in that kind of state. So, you know, it can take on lots of different flavors, right? But there's a lot of benefits that can come. Obvious benefit is, think of just the example I just used of if, say, anger comes up. So, say, whatever, you're at work, something happens, or it could be in over your home, wherever. If we're not mindful, if, we're, if, we're, if we are in the automatic pilot mode, how, how we respond to the situation if we're angry is going to depend on just just how we're naturally programmed. It'll be different for each person. But it's basically because we're not mindful in the moment, it's really just a reaction that happens. Something happens, we react. The reaction may be more or less Skillful or unskillful, depending on just how we naturally react. But we don't actually have much or maybe no choice in the matter because you're just caught up in it. You're on automatic pilot. That's the point. Some stimulus comes in, we have some emotion, we're angry, and then you just react back out, however it is. It might be mild or it might be pretty bad. And in fact, uh, I know of, I used to uh, do work in the prisons. I don't do that work anymore, but for years, I taught meditation in some of the state prisons. Um, and uh, I can't tell you how many, uh, there's people here I know who've done work, do work in the prisons too, and I don't know how many times I've heard stories of people who had, you know, they ended up in prison because of um, anger issues where things would happen and, the, you know, they almost just explode in this rage and that, you know, it's kind of like this term, a blind rage, right? Well, that's the opposite of being mindful. And something happens, and then how, they got, how their minds got wired up that way, who knows, but you just don't even have any control. The next thing you know, is you've done something horrible, and, and now you're, you're in jail, right, or prison. Right? That's really different than if the same exact situation happens, the same, say, anger happens, and yet you're just aware in the moment of what's happening. You're not lost in it. You you just see it and you know it. Now you still may not have that much choice if the power is very strong. The force of it might really still be so intense that you you it just pulls you along by the by its force, right? You're kind of swept along with it. So that could happen. But you have a couple of options if you're mindful. One is you, you know you're, you're angry, and you have the, the possibility of some choice in how you respond rather than just no choice. The second thing is you might make some choices it's of to actually, not just in how you respond, but how you work with your internal state. You might do some things to try and bring the intensity down. Like, you know, a simple thing, you know, they always say, take take a few deep breaths, right? That's kind of a cliche you might say to someone who's angry. Before you do anything, just take a few breaths. Actually, it turns out even that's pretty powerful. So if you have some mindfulness, you might remember, you know, you might feel like, okay, I'm going to, whatever, I'm going to punch this person or whatever you say, I'm going to say this or whatever you're going to do. Wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. I'm mindful. What did Shankman say that night? Oh, yeah, he said, take three breaths. Okay, I'm going to, I still want to, say this thing, but okay, I'm going to try it. Take the deep breaths, a little calmer. It's like maybe what you say isn't quite as edgy. Or you respond in a different way or you walk away or something. The mindfulness was the tool there. That was the key. None of the rest could happen without the mindfulness. So that's the whole benefit right there is just starting to bring more freedom and choice to all aspects of our lives, not just when we're mad, but in any time in our life. Right? I could, there's so many examples we can use. I think hopefully you get the idea, right? So that's a whole important piece. So there's a lot more benefits we can talk about uh, with mindfulness when we do this. the Mindful Schools program. The way we teach it to the, to the kids is we really think of it in, in these two ways that mindfulness is teaching them to have more self-awareness of what's going on so they're more in touch with their feelings. It's not only not being on automatic pilot, but as we practice the mindfulness more and more, just like we were doing tonight. We were sitting here. I think most people had their eyes closed. So you're turning your attention inward and you're paying attention with mindfulness to your inner experience. And so we, we get better or more sensitive to our own. We're more tuned in to our own inner experience. We come to know ourselves better. So it's not only just about being awake enough to not be reactive in a moment, but we actually are more and more aware on subtler and subtler levels of what's going on in our bodies. We're tuned in more. What's going on in our minds and in our hearts? I remember once uh, my wife had been on a four-month-long retreat. That's a long time to sit for four months. You know, all day, any of you who've done retreats, you know, you just... um, you just silently all day is alternating periods of sitting and walking and for those of you who haven't done retreats that might sound just like oh my god four months but um so uh you kind of get into the flow of it after a while when this next week the the concentration part kicks in it kind of can be kind of interesting <laughs> it's not just sitting there like it is maybe tonight if you if you're just struggling it has its ups and downs right so she was there for four months she, and she'd been, she's been meditating for I don't know twenty or more years. She came. This was not that many years ago. She came home from the retreat. How's your retreat? I hadn't talked to her. She was just off in a silent retreat. She came back and she said, "You know," and I think she was being kind of half, partly joking and maybe a little bit of seriousness in here. She said, uh, I, "I don't know if this meditation's all what it's cut out to be." And I said, "Are you serious? Are you kidding?" She goes. You know, it used to be I went through my life, I didn't know nothing. I didn't know what was going on inside of me. I didn't feel myself. Now it's like, do I have to feel everything? Do I have to be aware of everything going on inside of me? So, But I think she was trying to be humorous, but she was making a good point that one of the things that happens with the mindfulness is we do become more tuned in, more aware of. And so what happens is it can feel painful sometimes, so the purpose isn't necessarily to, to be like therapy where you're supposed to dig down into all your inner childhood wounds or all the pain or whatever, but that part of it can also happen too because it's kind of like a purification process it's talked about. And so as we start to bring our attention in and connect in on deeper and deeper levels and subtler and subtler levels, all, everything becomes more revealed. So what's going to happen to you as you deepen in your mindfulness practice, for those of you who are newer, I'll can just i just give you a, a little heads up. You're going to discover places of incredible beauty in you that you had no idea could be that beautiful. And I don't know anyone here well. There's some people here I've known for some number of years, but there's no one here I know well. I can say that with confidence with every single person in here because we're all human beings, it's true. You're going to touch in just places of, I just call it, this just, profound beauty. And you're going to touch into some places that maybe you didn't want to know was in there. I'll call it maybe the not so beautiful parts. I don't know the right adjectives. I don't want to call them the ugly or the bad because I don't want to label them that way. But you're you're going to connect into those parts too because we're human beings. We're a mix. We have all of these, right? But I consider it good news because if there's the places in there that are a little the stickier places inside me, the, the less beautiful. I'd rather know about them than not know about them than if they're in there. So this is what happens with mindfulness. We just come to know ourselves. And right along with that, hopefully we're strengthening some love and compassion for all of these parts in ourselves. Hopefully we're strengthening some equanimity. And there's lots of other qualities that are coming in here too. That we bring to work with this unfolding that happens. Okay. There's a lot, a lot of things that happen with the mindfulness practice. So we could go on and on about this, but that's sort of in general about mindfulness. So, what is this, the right mindfulness of the Eightfold Path? It's the seventh element of the Eightfold Path. It's actually defined in the old texts from which old Buddhist texts in the Pali language text, which is what our insight tradition comes out of, what's called Theravada Buddhism, one of the oldest uh, schools of Buddhism. It's defined as, here's another list for you. It's def- the, 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 the right mindfulness is actually defined as what's called the four foundations of mindfulness. That's what it says. So now it's like, oh gee, now I have to know what the four foundations of mindfulness is. So I'm just going to say a little about it. The four foundations of mindfulness is a big, big topic. And again, all these things we're talking about here, you know, you're getting the seven this and the eight this and the four that, and there's lots of lists. You know, Buddhism is sometimes kind of humorously or really seriously sometimes kind of talked about as being a religion of lists. And some of that has to do with just the way that the teachings were preserved and handed down. You know, it was an oral tradition for a lot of, for a number of centuries before this stuff was written down. And so to help aid in the memorization and just the way it was preserved, it was kind of put, you know, systematized like that. It may have actually been taught like this too at the time of the Buddha. So if you don't remember all the details of this, don't worry about that. Just let this come in, Whatever needs to stick will stick. A lot of it won't stick, but you'll get to the basic essence of it. And over time, we're talking about some of the basic teachings, as I said earlier, that'll be said over and over again. And it sticks more and more. And sometimes people want to go and do some more formal study. You know, there's books on all these topics too, but you don't even have to do that. You'll get the basic idea. So what are these four foundations of mindfulness? The basic idea of them is that it really covers being mindful of just about, I, I think, any aspect of your experience that, that I can think of. So one way to think of the four foundations of the mindfulness is just if we think it's a good idea to, to be less and less on automatic pilot and more and more just mindful and awake and clear as much as possible in our lives, so as a general idea, then maybe we, can, we need a little help because the Four Foundations of Mindfulness are actually pointing out a number of specific things that we might consciously focus on to be aware of. Now, how the Four Foundations of Mindfulness are actually put into practice, I'm going to say for next week because there's a number of different ways that people pr- do Four Foundations of Mindfulness as a practice. Okay, So either come back next week or... Stay tuned on the uh, audio Dharma. It's under my name, I think, though Richard Shankman. It'll it'll pop up in a, in a few weeks or a month. And you'll you, if you don't make it for next week, if you want to know some of the different ways that people um, practice. What I'd like to do is just name without going to a lot of detail, because there's a lot of detail a lot of practices. Uh, oh, one thing I should mention: Joseph Goldstein has a series of talks he's given on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And I think you can just get them from Dharma Seed, I believe. Anybody? I know that they are... Or it might be a set you can order, but um, if it, you can get them, his audio talks from Joseph Goldstein. And he went through a lot of detail on this. And I've actually been at... I was on retreat when he first started doing this. I was there for the first month. I happened to be where he started giving the series, and it was wonderful. And I've heard the whole series is really great. So that's just in case you're interested. So here's what the four foundations of mindfulness are. The first foundation of mindfulness is called mindfulness of the body. So when we were doing uh, mindfulness of breathing, for those of you who are doing it, you're doing mindfulness of the body practice. And to make it just a little more complicated, this first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body, it's divided into six steps. (laughs) And each of those are divided into subsets. So let me just name what the six different parts of the mindfulness of the body are. Don't try to remember it, but you'll you'll get the idea. So one way to be mindful of the body is mindfulness of breathing. It's connecting with the experience where you actually feel the physical sensations of your breathing in your body. So if you pay attention to your nose and there's the coolness of the air in and out, whether it's the tip of your nose or up in the sinus area wherever, you're being mindful of, the bo- of some body sensations. Or if you feel your belly you know, going up and in and out with each breath. That, that's so all these ways you can do mindfulness of breathing, that's a way to be mindful of the body. There's another way you can be mindful of the body, which are called the four postures. Sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. I think that's pretty much got all the postures covered, right? I mean, you could jump off a diving board. I guess you're falling as a posture. But, you know, basically sitting, standing, walking, lying down, those are your postures or moving in between postures. So it's just another way, when we think about it, to bring mindfulness is to just experiencing the body, just in a general sense, in a sitting, how it is. Take a moment, try it right now, just in a general way, not any big practice but just let your awareness however it does just general sense of your body just sitting in the chair or on the cushion or however you are right now you don't even have to move right it's it's not a complicated thing if if what i just said is a little confusing which can be sometimes come talk to me afterwards and i'll because because really it's just meant to be simple when you're walking you can just be aware of your body moving right You have to remember to do it. That's where next week on right concentration comes in. So mindfulness of breathing. A second way to be mindful of the body is uh, uh, the four postures. A third way you can be mindful of the body is it's basically all activities. So when you're brushing your teeth, you can just be mindful of brushing your teeth. You can feel your hand going up and down or feel the toothbrush or however you feel it. You can narrow down to one little spot or you can sort of broaden your awareness to feel the whole experience. If you're eating, bathing, going to the toilet, um, driving your car, you you can feel your hands on the steering wheel or feel your body sitting in the car. Just have a general... You don't have to focus on a point. Maybe you could just be aware in general. You know, it's not one right or wrong way you do it. Do it. Any activity you can think of, you can be mindful of. That's a way you can be mindful of the body, right? And then there's so that was three I just mentioned. There's three others on the list. I don't want to get into them because they're a little more specialized. But I'll, maybe I'll just mention there's. Um, one is called Four Elements Meditation, and it's more with your eyes closed, you just kind of feel the whole... Like if you feel hardness in the body, they call that earth element or pressure. Breathing is air element. They they break up the range of experiences into what they call earth, air, fire, and water. It's just another way to... won't get into it tonight. Don't, don't worry about it if it's confusing. It's not taught here in the West that much. If any of you are interested, by the way... Uh, coming up at the end of January, I'm co-teaching. There's a, a man who comes here named Bob Stahl, who some of you may know. He's an MBSR teacher. He and I are co-teaching a retreat at IMS in Barry, Massachusetts for five days, and it's going to do the complete first foundation of mindfulness, all of these practices. We're going to do four elements. There's another one called 32 parts of... It's called parts of the body. There's two lists, 31 or 32 parts, and you actually contemplate bones, muscles breaks it down into 32 parts, right? So there's, it's a whole practice you could do just to help tune you into your body. And there's also uh, the, what are called um, some meditations on death that are in there too. You know, the body's not going to last forever and all. So there's some meditations. Don't try to remember all that. The main thing is first foundation is different ways of being mindful of our bodies. Second foundation of mindfulness is simpler, at least conceptually. And in English, it's called uh, f- being mindful of feeling tone. Now, normally in English, when we use the word feelings, we equate that with our moods or our emotions. I feel happy, I feel sad, but that's not what it means. In case you're interested in Pali language, you don't have to know any of this Pali, but some of you might be interested. It's, the word is Vedana with a V, Vedana, translated as feeling tone. It means the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality that, uh, that accompanies any experience. So if you're sitting here and maybe your back aches, probably most people would experience that as being an unpleasant experience. It might be mild, mild or it might be intense. So there's the actual ex- mindfulness of the body part, which is the actual ex- sensation in the body. It might be aching or stabbing or burning or however you feel that backache. And then also there's just the fact that it's unpleasant, the unpleasantness itself. That's, that's the feeling tone. Or if you're having a real pleasant experience, you know, if you really like ice cream and you're eating your favorite ice cream, well, there's the actual tastes and flavors of the ice cream. And you can actually be aware of the fact that it's pleasant. That's all the second foundation is asking you to be aware of, the pleasant, unpleasant, or sometimes things it's hard to, it's hard to know if it's pleasant or unpleasant. It's kind of neutral. It may not be neutral, but it's kind of in between. So that's, that's all it's asking. And some people say, well, I, I, where am I supposed to find pleasant or unpleasant? No, no, keep it simple. Here's what it is. If you're having an experience and someone asks you, is it pleasant or is it unpleasant? Or can you not tell? It's kind of in between. You wouldn't put either label on it. You can answer the question in any moment with any experience. You can say, yeah, this is pleasant. This is unpleasant or I don't know. It's kind of in between. That's all it's talking about. That knowing of of whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's the second foundation. Okay, so we got the body. First, second foundation is the um, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Third foundation of mindfulness are just different. There's a list of different, I call them mind states. And, and I won't go through the whole list, but it's things like knowing if, if there's what's called greed. So there's another list, but anyway, what's called greed, hatred. Greed is the mind that wants, wanting mind. When they call hatred is, the, is sort of aversive, so it wants to... It's not necessarily hatred, but it's, it's pushing away unpleasant experiences, that attitude of mind. You know, get this away from me. I don't want to feel this backache. I don't want to be around this person or whatever. So you're either wanting to pull pleasant experiences toward us or push away, keep away unpleasant experiences. Knowing if that's in the mind or not, if we're having greed or hatred in the mind, or this delusion is another one that's talked about. We won't get into that tonight. That's a whole big topic knowing if the mind's concentrated or not concentrated, knowing if the mind is kind of expansive or contracted. There's a whole list of just kind of knowing the states of our mind and our hearts. It's not talking about thoughts, but just knowing kind of the qualities of our mind and heart. Are we feeling more spacious and open and kind of relaxed? Are we tense or tight? Are we just kind of in a general sense? Uh, there's, it's a specific list. But I'm, I know I'm clicking through fast now because I... But just want to name it. And then the fourth foundation of so mostly if if you go on a meditation retreat, like you go up to Spirit Rock or you go one taught here, these first three foundations of mindfulness are what are mostly taught. And it's basically being aware of being mindful of our bodies, of emotions, of thoughts, of sounds, just of anything in our experience. There's a fourth foundation of mindfulness that we're not going to be able to get into tonight, but it's basically... I think of it as the first three foundations are where to put your attention to practice mindfulness, and the fourth foundation are more from doing that it's some of the insights that you get and bringing some mindfulness to that. So, for example... um, Boy, it's complicated... (laughs) I think what I'd like to do actually is leave the fourth foundation of mindfulness for tonight um, uh, undefined. <laughs> it's, uh, it's maybe I should say something. I, I apologize here. Um, it's a big topic. Well, so there's there's a li- there's another list of five things that are called the five hindrances. <laughs> so if a hindrance, so if you're trying to meditate and you're struggling with your experience, it's there's some hindrance up. Maybe you're, 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 you're too restless or your mind is too dull or maybe you've got that greed or hatred going on wanting to cling to pleasant experiences or pushing away others or maybe there's doubt in the mind. There's this list of things called hindrances. So a big part of practice is knowing about the hindrances. So that's a whole big topic. Fourth foundation of mindfulness is knowing when the hindrances there are not. So we we'll start to be aware it's it's part of a subtler levels of awareness we're not just being aware of our body but naturally more and more we know when a hindrance is there you're more aware of it oh yeah i'm more i'm too restless right now you know it aren't you, you just know what's going on it's not just knowing it but knowing how to work with it skillfully also as part of it there's there's some other lists i'm not going to name them all but like one is called the, through the six senses so it's like seeing hearing tasting touching is body sensations smelling Sixth is what's going on in the mind. So when you're seeing, it's actually being aware of seeing. So it's not internal, it's more external now. Being aware when I hear sounds, I'm aware of it. If I smell a smell, I have mindfulness of what's happening. And it talks about also being aware of not just the experience come through the senses, but... Um, Knowing when we get caught up in reactivity with those experiences and w- and what helps us stay more clear and equanimous with all these experiences there's a lot, anyway, you can see there's a lot more there's even a few more lists I'm not going to name here. I think it's about uh one, two, three It's about six lists I think in the fourth foundation, and they're all complicated so the reason I'm glossing over a lot of this is it's not a, you know, just even if, you know, it's a lifetime study on these four foundations of mindfulness and practice. The main thing to keep in mind is um, it's not trying to remember all these things. There are times as you hear them over and over in different talks or you'll read a book, over time it just becomes second nature, a lot of this stuff, and you've heard it and you kind of come to know it. And what happens also is when you're actually meditating, and this is where I'm going to end before we open it up for some Q&A, it's not meant to, to stir our mind up or feel like it's too complicated. Oh, wait a minute. Now, let's see, there was the first foundation. What was that one? I'm, you know, you're trying to just calm your mind down and quiet it in meditation. So you don't want to be, okay, wait a minute. Let's see, first foundation. It's like, okay, what did he say? Oh, it was breathing. By the way, breathing alone is in four steps and all that and how many postures? Oh, sitting, standing, walking. You'll kind of drive yourself crazy. Oh, what was the other one? Okay, I'm supposed to be aware of all of this at the same time. Is there pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral happening, plus all the states of the mind and the heart, and there was the six sense doors and the five hindrances and all this? And I'm No. There will be times when you might pick particular ones to consciously focus on more. But the way I think of it over time through the concentration we'll talk about next time and through just generally developing our mindfulness, you can think of it as prescriptive, prescribing how you practice, or you can think of it as descriptive. It's describing the range of ways you naturally become, things you become naturally more and more aware of just by settling the mind, opening the awareness. And then you're not trying to remember it all. It's, it, at some point it just becomes, it's all just clear and you're not having to even go look so much. You just can see and know and experience. So keep it simple. To start off with, all you have to know is say, for example, you're doing breath meditation. It's not the only way to practice. But as just an example, just stay with your breathing or whatever your main practice is. Keep it simple. From time to time, other experiences will come up so it's not easy to be with your breath and you let go of the breath and you do tend to other experiences in the body because your knee is hurting or your back and it, your body's telling you, you know, you're not really going to be able to be with the breath much right now because come pay attention to me. <laughs> and it's the back. And so you let go of the breath and you go be mindful of the pain in the back. When it all settles down, you come back kind of to your home base, to your breathing, and you keep it simple. Okay? I'm going to Stop. I think we need a whole day on this this one. It's it's a lot. It is a lot. But the basic idea, I hope, would be simple. And maybe what we can do is just take we have maybe 10 minutes if we want to just open it up for any comments or questions. Maybe that might flesh it out a little bit. Anyone? Everything clear? No question?
2: Um, I I know you mentioned that there was one practice, uh, the 32 impurities. I think I actually did that with Bob Stahl in Boulder Creek one time. But what I wanted to say is that um, when I first encountered that particular practice, I always thought of it as as something that uh, would balance perhaps uh, attachments. So let's say you had attachment to the body then meditating on, on impurities, like pus and blood and yeah. things like that. Feces you, is you in kiss, there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, would bring you into balance. And that's the point of the meditation, that you're if you're attached, you're sort of out of balance, and then you meditate on sort of the opposite to bring you into balance. And you didn't really speak about meditation sort of in that or, – or mindfulness in that, that context. Is where yeah, it was actually I did trying. kind of just – Right. Just
0: skim right over the, that particular practice. It's true.
2: No, just in general, that if you're, you're you have an anger sort of disposition, then having a, a meta practice brings brings you into right. balance. And so there's always this this sort of a way of using mindfulness to um, cultivate the jhanas. You know, where you're you're actually a, a more loving, kind yeah, person, yeah. or you're a, a more compassionate. Yeah. yeah. Or, or equanimity, or et cetera, and so, um, so then it's not just uh, awareness for awareness' sake. You're actually you, you're you're focused on um, um, basically improving your your, your spiritual character. Yeah,
0: yeah. And actually, I'm I'm very happy that you brought that up, and there's and I appreciate it. And there's actually two things that you said there that I think are important that I want to just reiterate and highlight. One is is that what you're pointing to is there's a huge range of practices. So even within just the four foundations of mindfulness, like you could be working on these parts of the body, like this 31, or depending on the list, 31 or 32 parts of the body. And that, for some people, it's their whole practice. Maybe not so much in our country, but, but there are people who, who do that. And there's lots of other kinds of practice. Like I briefly mentioned the four elements, didn't say much about it. And so breath meditation, or there's so many kinds of practices. Um, I've known people who the whole practice is just mindfulness of walking. And I think in general what it points to is there's not just one way to practice and not one right or best practice and it's what's most useful. We're all different in what's needed. And then that goes to the second piece that I think that you said that I just want to reiterate also which is so important that sometimes what's needed it can either be because it's balancing something else or for whatever reason it's just that's what's most useful. And so part of the practice is sometimes it's not so clear what's needed but hopefully over time as we come as the practice matures that becomes more obvious and so yes that's a perfect example this parts of the body it has a number of purposes and one of the big ones is it is an antidote you know if we have we all look all of us as human beings that's part of being a human being we have some attachments and identifications with the body and so it's really not even trying to they call sometimes it is called foulness meditations but i don't really think of them like that because really it's true but when you go through this particular list of 32 parts and i don't know why they pick gruesome yeah it is but it's you know a lot of it's not necess- but it's not all gruesome some of it is so it starts off it says i don't know the whole list by heart but Head hair, body hair, nails, fingernails, teeth, and skin. Head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, and skin. You know, that's not gruesome or not, but I mean it, gets, it continues on. Yeah, but uh, just blood and feces, Pous-mucus. pus, mucus. And, you know, so it's kind of a mixed bag. But um, it's really just taking a a real look at... Because, you know, we're all caught up in att- attachment to the body, but as, as one person I know who was a, a nurse said... She goes, you know, you just go in an eighth of an inch and it's just all a big gooky mess. <laughs> it's, you know, where's our, how enamored are we with, with, with these objects we call bodies when you really see what's going on? So it is an antidote. Now, we don't want it to, it, we're also going to be out of balance. So it's an interesting question. For What if someone had um, a super a, aversion to the body or a negative body image now, I've known someone who answered because I put that question out to a group and because I, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe that would be an example of a practice maybe you wouldn't do so much. And somebody, some people said, yeah, Matt, you might do like loving kindness or something that brought in more of a sense of beauty or, I don't know, something like that to balance. And then someone said, well, I actually deal with a lot of this aversion to my own body. and I And they found that doing the 32 parts of the body helped them because it also cut the identification with the body. So I think that's an important point that you can we can be- counteract things that tend to trip us up or we get caught up and everything. So I uh, thank you so much for bringing that up. Thank you so much for that fast forward through. <laughs> it was fast <laughs> a lot too. Of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just want to cut, touch on the idea for tonight. Yeah, that's yeah, a good thing. Uh, one of the things that has always intrigued me about mindfulness is how in in the modern World, what you read, uh, how you read about it almost everywhere now. I mean, it, it's the applications of mindfulness, uh, you know, uh, pain management, and in schools, and the Chicago Bulls right. meditating so they can play basketball better. And, you know, I mean, it just is, I guess it's inspiring to think about yeah. how mindfulness now right. is
2: getting to be. Right. Uh, you know
0: part of human nature
2: that is really valued right. and really appreciated
0: so uh, yeah. yeah well i appreciate that and also you know jim with just a lot of the work that you do around bereavement and grief and, you know that you that's kind of your people don't know he's that's kind of his thing he specializes a lot in and, and teaches other people and so i'm assuming mindfulness is coming right into there as a tool to help people work with as, as probably among a number of tools right that people have to help well, so it's going to be interesting to see because I think it, this was a conversation that came up with the Mindful Schools organization. Should you use the word mindfulness or not even? Should we try to come up with a better word so it got separated out from kind of the Buddhist uh, association? And there was a whole assos- whole discussion and finally we thought, well, first of all, it's exactly what you're saying. It is coming more into common usage. You know, people will say, you know, well, be mindful. They're not, they're not Buddhists. They're not Dharma people at all. And we also felt like we wanted to help it come more into common uses and we didn't want to be afraid to just use the word and everything. So I think it's wonderful. And also it's pointing to that when, we, when we're talking at the beginning of, of the talk where mindfulness, you know, some, there are people who equate it with Buddhism, that mindfulness has its own power that has nothing to do with any religion or spirituality. It just has its own benefits and power. And it happens that those benefits and powers are used in the Buddhist world in service of particular ends towards this enlightenment or whatever Buddhism is heading you towards. And so you want to bring it in for that. And there may be people who are using it in many, many other ways, like at the Chicago Bulls, they're getting the same benefits, but they're applying them to, you know, how do I make my free throw shots better? Okay, I take some breaths, I I don't let my mind wander, I'm paying attention to what I'm doing or whatever, and... Or, how, or to calm down, or whatever they do, right? So that's how the, the, the it's, mindfulness has its own power. It's not Buddhism, though. And th- that shows how it's not actually all of insight meditation and all of the Dharma, too. It's got its own power and benefit. But, you know, you can, as they say, you could be a, um, you know, this is the kind of example that's used a lot you could be a thief. Who, or are safe cracker, or, or someone, a k- burglar, breaking into a home, and if you're really, you know, you, you can be very, very concentrated on what you're doing, and very mindful, and present, and aware, with what you're doing. You don't want your mind, you want to be, your senses want to be heightened, you're listening, you're paying attention, you're looking. So you're bringing all those things in. In this example, it's towards what I would call an unwholesome uh, application. So, right, so you can, you can take these powers, if you will, and apply them in all different kinds of ways. And that's why, of course, uh, from a Dharma perspective, there's lots of other supporting qualities that are important, the morality piece and, and everything. And hopefully, as it, as it heads out into the... From what I can see, I think the, the application of mindfulness in, in the greater society, I think, is, meant, it, it, it is in more positive ways. But, you know, who knows? Some days there may be, you know... The safe crackers will be better because they're really, you know, if you want to hear that, what is it, you know, you turn the tumbler and I don't know if the modern safes probably don't do this, but you know, you wait until you hear the click and, you've, and then you go back the other way. You know, if you really cultivated that strength of mindfulness, then you really be able to hear that click, right? Crack the safe faster. So anyway, thank you.
1: And then donate to the Dharma. Right?
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, someone has a question back there. Yeah, can we just pass the mic back?
1: I actually had a question about mindfulness and grief. Yeah. Um, And I'm going through a grieving process right now and becoming more educated. This isn't the first time, but uh, about some of the things, common things we experience, one of which is, I mean, I call it, my mind takes a vacation and just a little mini blip and you know i'm doing things that i don't i'm normally aware of and i'm suddenly not aware of and uh, can i just up for a
0: moment i want you to finish but are you saying that you happen to be go I, we don't have to get into the story necessarily but are, you've been dealing with some grief yes in this phase of your life yes and you're saying because when more than normally not just the normal, the mind blips and you lose it, but yes. it, it, you're finding it, it's like the mind wants to check out or something. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah,
1: some things um, that I normally wouldn't do, um, things like leaving my purse on the front seat of the car, yeah. um, buying two of something that I'd forgotten I'd bought one of before. Yeah. And uh it, and so I'm just wondering if there's a way to use this mindfulness practice to um, t- to help. Um, yeah. well, not wh- necessarily as an antidote, yeah. but, I mean, yeah. I don't know, become more aware of it and yeah. well, less it w- judgmental because well, these things yes.
0: happen. <laughs> so, but I, I'm going to answer You know, I, I would. I don't want to put Jim on the spot, you know, because he, he could give you the answer to but because uh, uh, he's more in this world a lot I mean I've had some experience in my own grief and working with others too but he's he's a real pro here but uh, so I just want to say something because uh, we only have a few minutes and we're going to end on time here so uh, um, I just so this may not do justice because if you're really dealing with some grief I mean I really want to be respectful of you know because we all know it's, it's not It's big, right? And so, um, just as a general comment, um, I think that we do want to know the times when we don't want to turn away and be able to be present with our experience or that of others and use the mindfulness in all these different ways, right? But I also want to say that I'm not going to say that we always... You know, there, I think there are times when maybe we do need to kind of check out. I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that as a... <laughs> where, where, you know, it's like... In other words, if we can never be present with what's going on, then we need to be able to find a way to do that and and hold our grief and feel our feelings and have our experience for that or others. But I don't think, the, and you're not saying this, I'm just giving a generic answer, but uh, we don't want to take that to the point of saying we all. that's always the answer because really there might be times when, you know what, I'm just tired of this right now. I need a break. I do need to get away from this. I do need to find a way to take my mind away, whether it's just for a healing or just a rest or a break or, or it's just too much. And so there's that piece too, and I think we have to honor that and maybe find a find the place for both of those. And of course, hopefully over time, as our own internal resources strengthen of mindfulness and presence and a lot of compassion for ourselves and love and all the equanimity and all these things, over the course of a lifetime when they're strengthening, then when the grief or the the difficulties do come, hopefully we have those resources available and tools more strongly, and we can hold more pain and be present with it, still feel our experience, not check out or not disassociate, but really not get crushed or swept away by it either. And probably for all of us, there's a point where um, um, it, it can also cross our edge, and it's maybe too much. You know, maybe the definition of a Buddha is there is no edge, right? You can hold it all. And for most of us as human beings, there will be a point where we have to be respectful and find a way to either bring the intensity down or somehow get away from it. So I think it's just a mix of all of those. So I I don't know what else to say. That was... I'm sorry. That's helpful. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so let me... Okay, so um, we end at 9 o'clock and it's exactly 9 o'clock now. So here's what I'm going to do to end. Um, This is going to be a two-minute ending. (laughs) If you need to leave and can't stay for the two minutes, then please just go. Take care of yourself. Don't feel self-conscious like you have to stay. And for those who are going to stay, I invite you, if you're not already doing so, to use your mindfulness right now and to connect into your body just however in whatever way you like just notice what's the experience in your body there might be a specific area or just a general sense in the body notice what's happening in your mind and in your heart just the whole range of your experience There may be something pleasant or unpleasant that pops out for you. You might be sleepy or tired. Maybe something in the discussion of the talk tonight you liked or didn't like or things still rattling around inside you from your day or it could be anything. And in addition to bringing your mindfulness to the experience, I invite you to also check in with how you are relating to what's happening in your experience right now. And to see if there can be that sense of, I like to call it letting be or allowing. Just letting your experience unfold itself and see if you can find a way to be with it its just kind of more a peaceful way to relate with whatever's happening. Even if what hap- is happening is unpleasant. So it's an experiment. But that's not always easy. And if there is something in your experience and you're not able to let be or, or be, in, be with it in a way that's without a struggle, then bring some acceptance for that place in you. And then finally to end for tonight, I would like to invite you to take a moment to reflect on your own good qualities. And for some people, sometimes that's hard to do. I run into people occasionally who can't find any good qualities. Everybody's got them. If nothing else, you came here to a group tonight that's about it's a Dharma group. What's it about? It's about how can we learn to live in a way that's more, that's less unskillful, more skillful. It's not about judging who we were, used to be in our lives or who we think we are, but there's a part in us that wants to live in a more wholesome, skillful way. And then wants to be more loving and compassionate and more mindful and awake and less on automatic pilot and less reactive, less unskillful. That's a good quality in you. Just that wish or intention, even if you don't think you're any good at it. So reflecting on your good qualities the best you can because it's not egotistical. We want to stay connected with our own goodness and let, not lose sight of that as, as it informs what motivates us and in our intentions. And then finally, to realize we'll, we'll do what's called the dedication of merit. And the idea is that um, you know you can't do this practice for yourself alone. It's not possible. You know, if you become more loving, it affects everybody around you. If you're more mindful and less reactive, it affects everyone, even if it's just a little bit. So it's actually not possible to practice for yourself alone. So we're going to make that more conscious. I I invite you to do it if you'd like. So the ideas we offer up, it's kind of like a prayer or a wish. For all the good energy or good qualities, for all the goodness, or we'll call it traditional language, we'll say for all the merit that's come about by our time together this evening, uh, we offer it up, may it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful. And may all beings come to an end of suffering. So thank you all. By the way, that was a four-minute ending, not a two, so I hope (laughs) it didn't.
1: But um, anyway, so thank you. And perhaps
0: I'll see some of you next week.